Our, our mission is to build world-leading advanced manufacturing capabilities in Canada for the benefit of Canadians. And I think perhaps over the last year or so, you see how important it is to actually make things here in Canada. It helps to save lives. And I think uh, the role of advanced manufacturing in general, when it comes to addressing some of the... Uh, You're listening to Making It in Ontario, the official podcast of the Trillium Network for Advanced Manufacturing. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Making It in Ontario, the official podcast of the Trillium Network for Advanced Manufacturing. I'm your host, Nick Persichilli, and in today's episode, we sit down with manufacturing industry icon, Mr. Jason Myers, currently the CEO of NGen, to get his insights on what the heck is going on in Ontario and Canada's manufacturing sector. And I think he's the perfect person to discuss this with. Before joining Engine, he was the CEO of Canadian Manufacturers and Exporters, an organization he climbed his way to the top of. In his time there, his day-to-day was mostly spent telling his members the stories that industry data was telling him. So he's been watching the Ontario and the Canadian Manufacturing Show for some time now. It was great to pick his brain. So I am by no means an academic. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm, I'm intellectually curious, I'm a smart guy, but no, I'm not an academic. My curiosity for learning is boundless, but my approach would make any self-respecting scholar want to kill me. And speaking of self-respecting scholars, Brendan Sweeney is an academic. He's just as curious as I am, maybe even more so, but his approach to learning is far more elaborate than mine. Case in point. Some weeks ago, he published a blog post asking if a consensus definition of advanced manufacturing exists. If you haven't read it, check it out. It's well-sourced, well-referenced, well-researched, A+. Of course, when I was posting it, in the back of my head, I was thinking, wow, this is pedantic. Advanced manufacturing, it's like rock and roll. You know when you see it. Screw defining it. In my head, I was like, who cares about a definition? At the end of the day, advanced manufacturing increases productivity, period. Why are we fussing? Well... As my guest Jason Myers points out during the podcast, it turns out there isn't even a consensus definition of productivity. Turns out Canada and the U.S. define productivity differently. So it looks like not only was Brendan's level of academic curiosity warranted, it may not have been academic enough. Supporting Ontario and Canada's manufacturing capabilities is critical. COVID-19 showed us exactly how and why that is, but it's going to take a lot more than platitudes like supporting manufacturers and providing good jobs. I'm saying this as a lowly academic peasant. We need more data. We can't support something if we can't define it. So having said that, here's Jason Myers adding his input on how best to support Ontario's and Canada's advanced manufacturing ecosystem so we can continue to, you know, make it in Ontario. And with that... We're live again. Welcome back to another edition of, of Making It in Ontario. I'm your host, Nick Persichilli, and I'm being joined by Trillium's Managing Director, Mr. Brendan Sweeney. And I'm also being joined by an industry titan by the name of Jason Myers. Hello, Jason. Great to be here, uh, Nick and, uh, and Brendan. Thank you so much. Now, Jason, we're going to, I'm going to take the approach of working backwards in your career, because as of right now, you are currently the CEO of NGen correct? That's right. Next Generation Manufacturing Canada. So the story of how you got there, I think is a very interesting one. So what, let's just let's just kind of set the table here. And uh, for the uninformed, let's, uh, let's get a little bit of a background about NGen. Sure. Well, NGen is the industry-led, not-for-profit uh, organization that leads Canada's manufacturing, advanced manufacturing supercluster. Now, we were formed uh, three years ago with funding from the federal government. Ottawa invested about $950 million in five superclusters across the country. And the idea was really to marry up the great technology and research that is happening right across Canada in a, in a number of really key economic sectors, uh, marry them up with industry applications. So in Western Canada, uh, in BC, we've got a digital supercluster, protein supercluster in uh, Western Canada, in, uh, in Quebec, a 
a supercluster that is looking at applications of artificial intelligence to logistics, and then in uh, the Maritimes, uh, an ocean supercluster that uh, focusing on applications of new technologies for marine in marine applications, uh, oil and gas wells, but also in um, in shipping and and other marine applications. So, the advanced manufacturing supercluster. Um, uh, NGEN is based at uh, our global headquarters uh, when we can use them is uh, at the McMaster Innovation Park in uh, in Hamilton. I think it's at the center of really where a lot of the activity uh, occurs in Canada with respect to research and technology and manufacturing. And that's that was really at the heart of what we were trying to do. Our, our mission is to build world-leading advanced manufacturing capabilities in Canada for the benefit of Canadians. And I think perhaps over the last year or so, to see how important it is to actually make things here in Canada, it helps to save lives. And I think uh, the role of advanced manufacturing in general, when it comes to addressing some of the, uh, the biggest challenges that Canadians and, and the world faces in terms of climate change or food security, water security, water purity, uh, environmental management and so forth, making things is going to be really, really important and also really important for the Canadian economy. Manufacturing has always been important. It's, uh, you can take a look at the direct impact that manufacturing has on GDP and employment. Uh, it's in both cases about 11, 12% of the Canadian economy, but it's the value chain around manufacturing that really counts. It's the, all the services and the technology and the engineering uh, and logistics that feeds into manufacturing that is so important. And what we've seen over the last 30 years or 40 years is more and more of that activity being outsourced. Uh, at one time, a lot of that was happening within manufacturing companies themselves. But just the, you know, the development of, of business, the development of technology has meant that a lot of those auxiliary services uh, are being outsourced today. But that just means that the, the footprint of manufacturing and the importance of manufacturing in Canada needs to, be, needs to be assessed in terms of the direct impact as well as the indirect impacts that uh, it has. And when you take all the indirect impacts into account, it's close to 30% of, uh, of the total economy. So a large part of what NGEN is trying to do is build the advanced manufacturing ecosystem in Canada. It's trying to connect all of the dots, all of the parts of uh, an advanced manufacturing economy. Uh, so we've got, uh, as, as I think many people are aware, world-leading research in many areas of, uh, of science, of engineering, uh, of technology. Uh, that is really cutting edge research and is going to be tremendously important uh, to industry over the next five to 10 years. We've got amazing technology companies as well, small companies, startups. We've got four of the world's best startup ecosystems in this country, but we also have some of the largest technology providers in the world operating here in Canada. And then of course, manufacturing companies as well that are are using some of these technologies and, and developing their own technologies and products and, and their own unique manufacturing processes. So the idea behind NGEN was rather than, well, first of all, how do we connect the dots? How do we, how do we ensure that Canadians are much more aware of the opportunities that exist in Canada? We've got, uh, we, we really do have world leading companies. In fact, I, I would say that uh, Southern Ontario, Southern Quebec in particular, there aren't very many other places in the entire world that have this concentration of research technology, manufacturing, and, a, and of course, a very highly skilled and talented workforce. So how do we take, how do we do a better job in, in bringing all of these assets together and really creating something that is world leading uh, but also is, is providing all sorts of value to uh, the Canadian economy. We have, uh, even in our, our membership, we have uh, companies that are represented uh, and, and on my board of directors, companies represented uh, who have never 
where the the representatives are have never met each other before and when they do are amazed at the fact that they didn't know each other existed but all of a sudden figure out that gee you're you produce smart textiles and i produce car seats and and this is a real case and we never met each other before and our offices are located across a parking lot from each other you know, we, we do a terrible job in this country of promoting our strengths and our assets. And the idea at the very beginning is, how do we do a better job of connecting the dots? And although we talk about an ecosystem, we don't really have a well-connected network uh, in the advanced manufacturing sector. Uh, and so a large part of what NGEN is doing as a supercluster is connecting and enhancing and really trying to support collaboration across Canada, across this, uh, across this ecosystem. So I'm going to take advantage of the fact that I have two academics here in front of me and ask this question because Brendan's kicked this around before. The definition of advanced manufacturing. Can we spend about five minutes just kind of, because Brendan likes to define things because in order to support it, we have to define it. So We've had a little bit of, I don't want to say trouble, because it's not like there aren't any definitions of advanced manufacturing, manufacturing's definitions of advanced manufacturing. There are plenty of them available. So, Jay, how would you, because we've, we've borrowed from um, your previous place uh, and how they defined it, uh, how would you define advanced manufacturing? I'd say advanced manufacturing are those capabilities that are a manufacturing company needs to have today in order to be competitive in a rapidly developing digital economy that is, and and so I, I say that in, in very general terms because it's, although a lot of, uh, I know StatScan tries to define advanced manufacturing with respect to product categories, and that leads into trouble because it would exclude uh, the textile sector and companies, for example, like Mayant uh, in um, uh, in Etobicoke, which is one of the world's leading uh, smart textile manufacturers, uh, and it would include uh, aerospace and automotive companies. Where, frankly, uh, although many many companies, of course, are uh, are at the cutting edge of uh, of advanced manufacturing, we also have companies that. Uh, you know, unfortunately, are are have not uh, adopted advanced or or world leading processes. So it, I, I don't think product definitions get us very far. I, I like basically the definition about capabilities, and it's not just technology. It's the way that companies use technology that that is really important, uh, both in terms of product development and and process. But it's all about adding value for customers. And, and of course, if you can add value for customers, then the other part of that equation is eliminating non-value adding activities, eliminating the waste and, and you know, basic lean best practices in, mass, in manufacturing management. But technology is bringing a new, uh, a new twist to all of that. It's, it's providing new tools and it's providing great opportunities for companies to develop new business, very customized types of value creation, which changes the industry from uh, from a, a commodity-based industry where the only focus is on reducing cost, which is kind of a, uh, a model that is cost reduction, elimination of waste is still very important. But the business is, is becoming much more of a technology type of, a, of an industry, a services type of in industry based on, on value creation too. So I, it's, a, it's a really, it's a it's an extremely interesting question. It's difficult to measure the capabilities, but I think it's really important to do that. But the other thing is that you know when we set up Engine, did a little bit of research about why companies found it difficult to adopt technology, and one of the and we uh, worked with StatsCan to do a, a survey right across the country, six thousand manufacturers. And so they asked, they had 35 different types of advanced technology. They asked companies, have you invested in these technologies in the previous three years? And 80% said yes, which was great news. 
And then they ask, well, what, why did you invest? What were your business objectives? And you know, product development, process improvement, regulatory compliance, and, and so forth. And then they ask, did you achieve your business objective as a result of your investment in the technology? And over half of the companies said no. And most of the large consulting companies today say that digital transformation projects in manufacturing fail. That has nothing to do with the technology. It has everything to do with, the man uh, with business management and with the skill sets of the companies themselves. So you can be investing in technology all you want and manufacturing is a high-tech business today, but it's also about management capabilities uh, and the skill sets, the talent of the workforce as well. And I think those are two very, very important parts of that of that definition of advanced manufacturing. Long answer. No, it's, it's, it's a good answer because, and this is something that someone said to me and I haven't been able to shake it. The, the phrase advanced manufacturing, that's not a new phrase. That's been around since manufacturing, right? Like the digital twin, that's a new, that's something new, right? That's something that came around today. Industry 4.0, okay. But advanced manufacturing, that's not a new idea, is it? Absolutely not. I guess what is advanced about it is that uh, the frontier of technology or the cutting edge of technology has uh, is continues to progress very rapidly, and uh, you know that's that's what in in a way is advanced. But you could also say, like uh, you know, many many manufacturing companies in Canada are advanced and have shown that they're advanced because they've been able to compete and grow in a fantastically competitive global environment. And companies do very well and, and, uh, in, in, many, in many cases. Um, so the, the manufacturing is a business that continually evolves. Uh, and I, <laughs> you're, uh, in, in a previous life, I remember writing a report called Manufacturing Our Future in 1995. And that was followed up by another report in 2003 called Manufacturing 2020, because we thought we had lots of time uh, between 2003 and 2020. But saying the same thing, I was, uh, it was making the argument that companies needed to look at technology as and, and adopt the right technologies to solve their problems and, and kind of not the other way around. Too many companies jump into technology and, the prob and problems begin to follow that. Um, so, so making sure that uh, company uh, that uh, technologies are appropriate for the business objectives that that uh, companies have, and it's totally about how to survive uh, in a in a very dynamic, uh, fast-paced global environment where expect customer expectations and stakeholder expectations and government relate uh, regulations uh, are evolving at the same time. So let's. Take a, let's chat real quick about your previous life uh, at, at CME. How were some of the challenges, like what was the reality of Jay Myers at CME, like from when you started to when you left? Like what was, what was that time period like? What were you dealing, what was your day-to-day -day like there? Well, uh, I have to admit I'm an economist uh, by training <laughs> and uh, an economist at heart. And I love trying to understand business. And one of the problems that I have always faced in economics is why do economists not understand the way business is done, and, and especially in manufacturing. So I, I spent over 25 years at uh, CME, Canadian Manufacturers and Exporters. I started there as their economist, and uh, I left as the CEO. Uh, I enjoyed every minute because it was a learning experience, and I, I love trying to translate what was happening in, in the business of manufacturing into public policy terms and trying to take a look at, and, and it, was, it was, I found it very interesting, being able to tell a story about the economic statistics that manufacturers could see themselves reflected in. So, you know, you can get pretty, pretty deeply detailed into statistics. I love being able to present to a group of companies, this is what this is what shipments performance has looked like over the last ten years, and I could point out 
the problems in supply chains along the way. And you can see the dips that happened when the lights went off in two, and this dates me, when the lights went off in 2003 and when, Co and when uh, SARS hit. And of course, you'll be able to see the, the COVID dip. Uh, but you could track events and the impact on supply chains and the impact on manufacturing all the way through. And the other thing I found was that just in presenting the uh, you know, production numbers or sales numbers for manufacturing, how many companies could see themselves in that? You know, manufacturing itself is, is divided uh, uh, across a number of different sectors and a number of different industries and using different technologies, developing different products uh, and, and producing different things and tied into different markets. But I always, I always said, you know, uh, every manufacturer in this country, like every Canadian, is, uh, is unique. And as in Canada, we're all unique in extremely similar ways. We, it's amazing how common the challenges are and for the business of manufacturing. And I was always impressed by being able to present uh, a graph illustrating manufacturing sales numbers and how many companies could see their own performance in the performance of the sector as a whole. And likewise, on the profit uh, profit margins, I I used to present a graph. Basically, this is this is the amount of time you need to operate in order to cover your costs, and uh, and this is the amount of time you have to make the money that you need to reinvest in your business. And it's it was alarming because the <laughs> the amount of time to cover costs was was hours. The amount of time to make money to reinvest was a matter of minutes. And seconds, and um, and I think that another another very interesting for me, and you can tell that uh, I still love talking about this. It's un it was understanding how business decisions and investment decisions are actually made, and how important that concept of good lean principles of adding value, creating revenue, and cutting cost, which is all about eliminating non-value adding waste how that led to cash flow and how important cash flow was for manufacturers in investing in new technology, new equipment, uh, or in R&D. And all of that could be tied directly to, um, to the cash flow performance. And so uh, I, I enjoyed being able to present that, but I could take the, those same numbers and I could translate that into an argument why uh, government should pay attention to reducing things like uh, taxes on capital equipment or taxes or capital capital consumption allowances, why that should be increased. And it was just being able to tell a story from the perspective of manufacturers. I love that. Um, and and I, I was always, have always kind of followed the, um, the best practices in manufacturing management because I think that in, if I can explain that in economic terms. It, it means an awful lot in that translation role. Anyway, that's all academic stuff. I also loved, uh, I mean, just just getting, and I think anybody who is um, who leads a, a business association uh, loves their their role because they love talking to people and and getting to know companies and uh, always being taken on a tour of of a facility and uh, meeting people who are so proud of what they had been able to accomplish and so proud of the team that was working um, there. And I think that's, that's something that always struck me. And, and of course, there were some big, uh, big issues along the way uh, by America. And, and uh, I was there during the, all of the negotiations for not only for NAFTA, uh, and but also for CETA and um, and other trade agreements, and I could tell you that uh, being able to navigate through that uh, and and try to trying to come to some form of an agreement, I wouldn't even say it's a consensus among uh, among players in in um, the manufacturing sector to present a common front uh, to government, and how important that is, but uh, how really difficult. Uh, it is as well. So it was, uh, it was challenging, but, uh, but I, I loved it. It was, uh, uh, it was really interesting. 
And, and I, when I was at CME, I, um, uh, when I was offered the, the role of CEO, uh, I made the, I accepted it because I made the decision that the only way an industry association could really prosper, if you were a broadly based industry association, was yeah, you have to continue to play an active role in, in public policy, but it has to be more than just an advocacy role. And it, it how do you how do you create value today as an industry association? And it's either to either to well, it's all about providing opportunities for members that they wouldn't be able to achieve on their own. Uh, it's it's rarely just about getting up and you know pounding the desk and talking in in public about. Uh, in fact, there's much more going behind on behind the scenes. Most of most of your role in advocacy is to stop things happening rather than to um, convince government that they should do something. But you know, it is, how do you create value today and, and make yourself relevant and make yourself a really important part of the business of, of manufacturing? That was always a, a major challenge as well. And I, I um, left CME and came to, um, and, and really founded Engine because I thought at uh, as uh, where my career was taking me, I had much more interest in looking at where manufacturing was going in the future and trying to understand that and then trying to create opportunities uh, around that. So NGEN was actually founded uh, and incorporated uh, before uh, before Supercluster. And uh, we were, I was really lucky to have been working with um, uh, a group at the Ontario government with, uh, with Giles Gerson in, in particular and Bill Mantel, who saw the importance of, uh, of being prepared for where advanced manufacturing was going. Great people at uh, the National Research Council, Ian Stewart, and, uh, and fantastic uh, support from industry leaders like uh, Linda Hassenfratz and Bob McGee. Uh, Ray Tange, uh, in particular, who really, really encouraged the formation of NGEN and forced to do something that was future-looking, but still grounded in really best practice in manufacturing management. And going back to this, this question about what advanced manufacturing is all about, uh, generating value in manufacturing for customers. And the last year, of course, has, has shown everybody how extremely important it is to make stuff here in in Canada and uh, and where the the sector is going in terms of opportunity around electric vehicles and biomanufacturing and hydrogen and industrial decarbonization and automation and like we've got um, we've got projects to develop robotics for the next space arm to orbit the moon and manufacture in outer space and that's that's where that's where the sector's going here in Ontario, and, and we've got projects like that right across the country. So you, I have a personal affinity for all things to do with rocket science, and you just hit a nerve with me. That sounds amazing. Yeah. They're actually working on a new arm. That's, a, that's awesome. Yeah. Can you tell us about that? A new, arm, a new arm for the space station, next generation space station, is going to be orbiting the moon. Of course, we've got a great Canadian company that uh, that is doing that, and uh, I'm probably breaking all sorts of confidentiality but uh, <laughs> uh, here, but I think that they are uh, looking to incorporate robotic technologies in Canada in, uh, in that next uh, Canada. That's awesome. Full disclosure, I might, I might have bought 100 shares in that company when it uh, did the IPO a couple months ago. So, <laughs> Yeah. Wow. And that's here in Ontario. Yep. It's, uh, it's uh, here in Ontario. It's, it's a company, of course, right across uh, uh, the country, but I, uh, I think it's going to be doing a lot of its robotics development uh, in uh, that's, Toronto. That's fantastic. So, Jay, I noticed in your profile, you, you, there was a line that says you're specializing in industrial and technological change. Let's go back to 1980. At that time, if, and please correct me if I'm wrong, uh, at that time, Ontario had a well-established reputation for quality manufacturing. There was a lot of automotive manufacturing. We built a lot of stuff, right? Jay, what can you tell me about what happened between 1980 and, say, today? And I see Brendan is laughing. <laughs> I know. I was still Nick and school. Brendan grew up. Yeah, we, I was just born. So that's... So. Yeah, I think I had a couple months on you there, Nick. But 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but Jay, as broadly as you can, because I, I, I really want to understand it. What happened between then and now? Like, what happened? I think the, you know, the history of uh, the 80s was a, was a combination of a, of a number of things. And, and in the early 90s, uh, uh, changes that really disrupted the business of manufacturing and uh, right across North America, and, and I'd say also around the world. So yeah, we had a well-established manufacturing sector in, um, in Canada. A lot of it was focused on domestic markets. But at the same time, we had a sector that was doing more and more companies doing more and more business, particularly with the United States. And that was the case on, uh, in the automotive supply chain, but in many, other, uh, uh, in many other types of supply chains as well, where Canadian companies uh, were very important as, as we had Canadian OEMs that you know, many of them don't exist today, but we had Canadian OEMs that were manufacturing product for world markets and needed to needed to have better access, particularly again to the American market. Uh, we had smaller companies that were looking at exporting, uh, and again, the U.S. was the closest, richest market in the world, and looking to and and frankly, uh, companies that were innovating. and And one of the challenges that Canada has always had is that our our markets are just too small uh, to support consistent innovation and growth on the part of, uh, of companies. Um, and, and we don't really have a national market. We have regional markets here uh, in Canada, and we do much more business, as everybody knows, uh, with the United States. And that, wasn't, that was developing through the 1980s as well. So by the end of, um, of the 1980s, the free trade debate uh, was in full swing. Uh, here and and really, uh, I joined CME in the early 1990s, and at that time, I still heard uh, stories about it. It was a it was a real, uh, very very challenging time for CME, and I think uh, that was just a reflection of what was going on right across the manufacturing sector in Canada. Uh, CME lost half of its members in, uh, in the late 1980s as a result of the uh, uh, of the decision to proceed with free trade uh, with the United States, and, and so and many of those companies um, didn't survive uh, free trade. Many of them went out of business. Now, at the same time, uh, in the 1990s, we had a very competitive Canadian dollar a very dynamic U.S. economy. We had the free trade agreement and Canadian manufacturers doubled their doubled production in the course of a decade. But it was a very different type of manufacturing, very different type of supply chain relationships uh, that developed over the 1990s. And uh, by the time the 2000 came around and now it was NAFTA, we had a Mexican partner there. I think... Uh, uh, Canada during the 1990s had been seen as a relatively low-cost place to manufacture, and beginning in 2000, and uh, and then particularly through the the recession 2008-2009, and and coming out of it, uh, companies really had to show that they were world-leading uh, here. They had to compete on as much on value as they had to compete on cost, and I think that's still the that's still very much and even more so the uh, the name of the game and uh, for manufacturing here in Canada. So it was, you know, just talk about how uh, businesses have evolved during that period of time, and many of them didn't make it, uh, but many of them prospered uh, at the same time. And and we have always seen, I, I think, the the great strength and weakness of Canadian manufacturers is their ability to customize, to solve problems, to come up with new engineering solutions. Uh, they can do that better than any other, uh, I think any other uh, manufacturing uh, set of manufacturing companies in the world uh, here. But it's very, very difficult to scale your business when you're customizing as much. And, you know, even on the part of, uh, uh, the larger OEMs that are, have an operation here in Canada, they tend to develop here in, uh, in this country the products that are just beginning to beginning their life um, or, or at the end of their life. 
uh, you know, small production runs, or they, uh, or here uh, they count on Canadian companies and, and Canadian suppliers and the and the, the Canadian operations to do something that is is much more customized, much more specialized uh, than the high volume production activity in in the U.S. And so that you know that that is a challenge because if we are uh, building high production or high volume production, then we have to export into the U.S. Uh, and we're we're totally tied or or global markets, but at the same time we have very competitive smaller companies here in Canada that can do amazing things on in terms of product specialization and and engineering. And you know one of the and, and here's the economist in me coming out again. Some of the analysis that we did again before the supercluster to look at why Canadian companies were so slow in investing in technology, and we found some really interesting things. Um, and, you know, why do Canadian companies lag behind on productivity? And a lot of it has to do with scale. That if you look at, uh, and again, the the cash flow, after-tax cash flow, as the, you know, determining factor behind industrial investment or manufacturing investment in new technology and in machinery and equipment. And, and look at cash flow as, a, you know, profit margins of Canadian manufacturing and U.S. manufacturing. At every type of profit margin, Canadian companies are more profitable than U.S. companies are. And manufacturers in the U.S. and manufacturers in Canada, on average, invest about the same proportion of their cash flow in new technology, new equipment. But Canadian companies invest just slightly more, like two-tenths of a percent more. I've done that consistently over the last 20 years. Now, how can you be less productive and more profitable at the same time? The only way you can be is if your statistics measure production volume versus value. And what that tells me is that Canadian companies are small. Uh, they don't have the, the large economies of scale, of, uh, of production scale, uh, as uh, U.S. companies do. And as a result of that, don't have the, the productivity uh, that uh, larger companies get as a result of mass production. Canadian companies compete on the basis of customization, coming up with engineering solutions. Uh, you know, the, the record of the last year is many companies have pivoted from one sector to produce PPE or products for COVID shows how how flexible, how innovative a lot of smaller Canadian companies in the manufacturing sector actually are. But it, it, where, where you really get the difference between Canada and the United States is just the number of, of large companies or large operating facilities here in Canada versus the U.S. Uh, the last time I looked, Canada had something like 270 manufacturing facilities uh, that employed in the facility over 500 people. And usually you could scale that up, you know, factor of 10 in the United States. The U.S. has 37,000 large companies that employ over 500 people or large facilities that uh, employ over 500 people. Uh, so it's not, you know, it's way, way over a, a factor of, uh, of 10. But that says a lot about I think about the competitive nature of manufacturing in both of our countries. U.S. manufacturing has thrived on a large market, on mass production. Uh, Canadian companies have prospered very well on the basis of their ability to customize and specialize and provide solutions for customers that, and that's why, why many companies come to Canada, uh, because they, they can find suppliers uh, that will do things that that companies anywhere around the world would would never think of doing. Um, here, difficult to grow when you try to do that. But I think today, uh, where, what's really interesting with many of the many of the digital technologies, many advanced technologies that companies are using, is that these are fabulous tools that reward companies that are focused on customization and specialization and allow allow more Canadian companies to, to scale virtually and, and or use these technologies to, uh, to get into the field of, of mass customization or mass specialization 
uh, and and even better, uh, and this is where where manufacturing is going around the world, of course, is to even though products themselves can be rapidly commoditized, um, every product, every process today is a data platform, and it's the ability of companies to use that data to create new types of value for customers, new types of data-driven services for uh, customers, that that's where manufacturing is going. I think Canadian companies are, are, are pretty good at doing that, um, you know, and coming pretty good at, at developing new business models. And this is, and here, I'll, I'll, uh, sorry, Nikki just got me on a, on a roll here. That's good. Uh, but, but it's also, here's another, you know, economist um, conundrum. In the United States, productivity is measured as revenue minus cost of inputs uh or that's how that's how production is uh is measured uh how gdp is measured and that makes a lot of sense in canada we measure manufacturing sales or manufacturing production on the basis of the volume of product the revenue, I guess, of the of product that comes out of the factory gate. And that's very different because it doesn't include services. And one of the reasons why you see this huge productivity gap between Canadian and American manufacturing is that GDP numbers in the US include all of the all of the revenue being generated by services and engineering and contract manufacturing that is well beyond the value of the of a product itself as it leaves the customer, uh, as it leaves the uh, factory gate, and we don't do that. So we're we're counting, you know, apples and oranges here in terms of our productivity numbers. And I think we need to one of one of my pet projects at some point is to uh, convince Statscan that uh, they should take a, a updated view on on not only advanced manufacturing capabilities but how we actually measure manufacturing performance because i think the measures we're using are you're talking about the 1980s i think they're more adept to the 1960s than they are to where we are today in 2021 Brenda, do you have anything to add to that well i had a question about a new engine initiative that looks really exciting and i'm wondering if jay would elaborate on I believe it's called Careers of the Future, and I think we are all very interested in how do we get the next generation of manufacturing experts from wherever they're at now, from their schools, from their homes, from their jobs at Fortino's, which is Hamilton for Loblaws, how do we get them into manufacturing? And I think, uh, I think one of the goals of Careers of the Future, but Jay can tell me that I'm wrong or if I'm not wrong, but I think that's one of the goals of this program. Jay, could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, what a great introduction. Uh, this, is a, this is a really, really important initiative that we've undertaken and uh, my board of directors really set the goal for us to, and, and very clearly saying, like, um, and this was actually before COVID, but uh, became even more important afterwards. Look, uh, most Canadians don't have an updated view on what advanced manufacturing is all about or what manufacturing is all about in this country and, and the importance of advanced manufacturing, number one. Uh, most kids in school don't think of a career in manufacturing and most parents and most teachers are not guiding them that way either. And a large part of that is because of outdated perspectives on what manufacturing is all about too. But we know that there are these huge opportunities coming up for manufacturing in Canada uh, based on new technologies and, and based on our ability to you know, deliver fantastic products and you know, meet some of the, the world's biggest challenges. Life-saving products under COVID is a really good example, but we also need uh, products to address climate change and to uh, and and take us to a zero emission economy with uh, with low emission cars and all of this uh, all of this lies in the you know in the future. So five ten years down the road, when these opportunities will be there for Canadian companies and Canadian manufacturers will be stepping up, 
they need to step up with a workforce that is uh, is highly qualified and uh, uh, can work with digital technologies and other technologies, but can also uh, take a, a broader perspective about the management of, of business uh, as well. So the board asked us to basically run a campaign to attract young people, uh, students in primarily in secondary schools, but I think as we as we now expand the ca uh, campaign, it'll be broadened to primary schools as well, attract the next generation into advanced manufacturing careers. For manufacturing, it's, it's really a critical challenge because 25% of the manufacturing workforce today will be retired in 10 years time. And when you look at the number of young people coming into the sector who are under the age of 30, uh, it represents about 5% of the total workforce today. So that mean, means a couple of things. And, and But I, I do want to say that that young cohort, a majority of them are actually women. Uh, and they are working in different, in different lines of work and do have different career expectations in, uh, in manufacturing. So, you know, 5% versus 25%, that means a couple of things have to change. One is that that companies have to whip up productivity by you know, a factor of 20, 25% just to keep output levels where they are. And that is going to in turn generate uh, an awful lot of, uh, of investment in new automation systems, advanced uh, digital systems, uh, and, and create new job opportunities for young people working in those technologies. And maybe not even within manufacturing, but maybe in the engineering and tech uh, uh, support services that, uh, that are around and feed into manufacturing. But I guess the other, the other thing, so we wanted to paint you know, that picture of, of there are tremendous opportunities here and get to know advanced manufacturing and take these opportunities seriously as you're looking at a career. The other part of this though, and, and maybe is, is more important than ever in a pretty uncertain time for students, we wanted to get across the point to them that uh, if you want, you may have various interests in, in math or making things or gaming, or uh, if you're creative and an artist, you may, might have various interests, but there's probably going to be a really good career path for you in advanced manufacturing. You know, if you like gaming, well, jump onto some digital twins and simulations. And if you if you like making things, there are lots of operate, operating opportunities. And if you like, um, if you like uh, designing things, well, the whole world of industrial design, again, digital twins uh, is, is open for you. So, you know, we wanted to tell young people, think about advanced manufacturing. Uh, the other thing we, we want, and, and certainly raise awareness about the sector, um, but the other thing that came through fairly clearly from our discussions with students was that they didn't really know what career path to take or what study path they needed to take. So, so this is a part of what we're working on right now to, um, to give them a little bit more guidance and say, you know, if you're interested in these careers, then these are the types of skills that, that you will need and whatever career path you follow, if you're going to uh, uh, college, university, whatever course you're going to take, well, you, you should be trying to hone these these skills because they're good skills for an advanced manufacturing career. So that's that was the that was the objective really to make sure that look the the future opportunity for manufacturing is going to be built on the current generation of students in high school, and uh, we've got a I think everybody every Ontarian every Canadian. Uh, needs to see this as a critical part of of the future of of the economy and and their own personal futures, but uh, particularly in manufacturing, I think we've uh, uh, we've moved well away from a situation where companies can simply look out in the labor pool and and take people off the shelf and slot them into jobs. That no longer that's no longer the case. And so we we really need to think differently about how we can attract uh, young people and. As I say, I have a, a fantastic board of directors, real uh, leaders in the in the advanced manufacturing sector, and uh, have been totally supportive of this uh, careers of the future campaign. So we've got a great media campaign uh, about every social media platform, from Twitch and TikTok to, and and uh, 
uh, of course, I'm, I'm on these social media platforms all the time myself. Uh, so I, I, I know exactly what, uh, uh, what appeals to uh, the young generation on them, not. But uh, uh, it, it, it's, it has been fantastic to, uh, to watch this. It, just, um, it was just updated on the, um, uh, the number of hits and views we've had on our campaign, uh, careers of the future.ca website. Uh, right now it's 34 million. Wow. And yeah. So it, 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 it's hitting a nerve out there. And, uh, um, and we, again, we just want to, we just want to make sure that we're attracting as many young people into, uh, into careers and getting the, them to think positively about advanced manufacturing. What I'd like to do with this campaign is encourage more of our advanced manufacturing companies and industry organizations to help support this campaign because we've got we've got great content on our website about with role models and great content about uh, the what advanced manufacturing looks like and the technologies um, but it, it's a I think it's a fantastic platform for any company or any industry sector to promote jobs in their uh, in their particular business. When um, it was 1999, and funny enough, I worked at the same building um, that the NGen offices are, but at that time it was Camco, it was a fridge factory, and I was a student at McMaster, about two kilometers, not even, away, and they came and got us. They showed up on campus and they said, we've got jobs this summer, let's go, and 300 of us went there and worked <laughs> there all summer. Um, and, and, but I mean, they were very proactive about coming and finding us. Our manufacturers, could, could manufacturers benefit today from being a bit more proactive at, at my whole, I, I, you know, worked eight, nine years in McMaster and seldom saw out in the, you know, out in the main student center, the way Camco used to be, the way Stalco or DeFasco used to be. And I didn't see some of Hamilton's big employer, uh, manufacturing employers there saying, let's go. Like we 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 need people and we need you this summer. Um, could manufacturers be more proactive, more assertive in going and putting themselves in front of younger people? Yeah, absolutely. I I think that uh, in many respects, don't count on a campaign if you're not going to be taking a leadership position and actually having jobs available and willing to bring students in, even on a a part-time co-op or internship basis. Uh, you know the work. Don't complain about not finding students with practical skills if you're not prepared to bring them in and, and put them through a, some form of work integrated learning uh, type of uh, of a role. But uh, but I think many companies many companies are and and let's face it, it's the last ten years have been extremely challenging for many comp for many businesses, and. It's been very difficult for uh, for companies to plan ahead in terms of employment. Um, there, if and many, you know, labor market surveys that go out and ask manufacturers, well, what are the skills that you'll need in three to five years? I couldn't tell you. I don't think any. I don't think many businesses could because they don't actually know what their business will look like in three or five uh, three or five years, or what technologies they'll be um, they'll be using. So, I think we have a. Manufacturers do have a responsibility for going out and not just looking to find uh, people when they need them, but actually going out and uh, and recruiting actively. And of course, you always find you know companies saying, "Well, if I do that, someone else is going to steal the the student." Uh, but I'd rather have companies active, as many companies actively engaged in trying to do this and uh, develop that that really strong talent pool of advanced manufacturing talent. And it's going to be very like the, the technologies, the capabilities are going to be very different from what companies are experienced with in the past. So, you know, if you want, uh, uh, if you want a workforce that actually understands and is comfortable with working with technology, and and looking at problems in different ways and developing new business models, um, and looking at new ways of of applying technology to improve businesses. Uh, then I think the you know the the young generation is is exactly the the labor pool that uh, the many companies should be should be looking at here. But totally agree, Brandon, that that 
companies themselves, I mean, this campaign is not going to work unless we have some real role models and, and real leadership on the part of, uh, of uh, Ontario Canadian manufacturers. I am very encouraged by the fact that Jason Myers just acknowledged that most young people aren't aware of the menu of jobs that are available in manufacturing, because that has been a sentiment that has been repeated to us many times, even when we're not even talking about the the labor force. Like we did a, a, a podcast on Industry 4.0, that subject came up. We did another episode, uh, this one was more specifically talking about uh, gender diversity in manufacturing. And again, young people, women in particular, they just don't know that it's there. So I'm I'm really encouraged that Jay Myers and Jen, you guys are just going out there and saying, hey, this is what's here. Pay attention. I, I'm I'm very encouraged by that. Now, we are rounding the corner on an hour, and I want to be cognizant of time because, uh, Jay, I know you're very busy. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask you one more question, and it's going to be complicated. Nice and long-winded. So... Um, Thinking about and and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give you carte blanche on how you want to go with this. What we, what's what's next for Ontario? And before you answer that, paying particular attention to the shifting dynamics in automotive. Because let's face it, whenever people say manufacturing in Ontario, what's the first thing you think of? Automotive. I know I did. Brendan had to beat that out of me is when I first started here, and thankfully he oh. has. So. <laughs> But uh, yeah, what would you say is next for Ontario with the bullet point of automotive? Yeah, well, I, I think you've really Nick, put your finger on one of the sectors that is going to be tremendously disrupted over the next five, 10 years. Uh, and a lot of it is because of the transition in the auto sector as a whole to electric vehicles, hydrogen and, and electric power chains. Uh, here or powertrains, and you take a look at um, uh, electric vehicle today, and you go, you know, basically seventeen percent of the parts that would be produced for an internal combustion engine-driven car. So huge reduction in the number of parts, different parts. I think there are going to be some real, certainly some great opportunities for those companies that can jump into the whole EV battery, the uh, the hydrogen value chains here, there are going to be new opportunities in the production of parts and the production of the batteries themselves. That's that's clear. Um, and and I think, of course, uh, where the auto sector is going as well, that, that much more smarter autonomous vehicles uh, let's not forget that we've got a fantastic ele electronics and semi and customized semiconductor industry in this in this province as well uh, that can feed into that. But it's certainly not going to be business as usual for the auto parts sector. Uh, and as we all know, the purchasing, the product design, the investment decisions uh, for auto parts companies are not being taken here in Ontario. Uh, so we have to be exceptionally good. And I, I think um, it's going to be important to to develop the capabilities of the value chain itself rather than the capabilities of individual companies uh, here. Companies need to work together across the value chain to show that this is a an attractive ecosystem value chain in which to invest. And I I think we've got a very short window of opportunity here maybe a year to make some very very positive steps toward attracting investment and making that investment pitch for new new productive capabilities for uh, for investments by larger companies oems new technology companies and we just can't miss that window of opportunity uh, i think it, it would but at the same time, uh, we need to take a look at how do we transition auto parts companies that are producing parts for vehicles that are going to be becoming fewer and you know farther between uh, in terms of customer demand and uh, and production. 
uh, uh, runs and 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 product mandates here too. So the uh, the market itself, I think, is not going to be as as buoyant as it has been for uh, uh, for auto parts se uh, sector as a whole. We need to figure out how we ensure that if companies are still part of that internal combustion engine type vehicle value chain that they are not only competitive but they're the best in the world jay thank you so much for chatting with us i could ask you a few more questions but i think i think we should probably cap it off right there um i'm probably going to tap on your shoulder again once we can actually all be in the same room all right everyone thank you so much okay thanks you thanks, guys jay. that's been a pleasure Talk to you soon. yeah